If you have Bibles or some kind of medium that opens Scripture to you, please turn to Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 10. I'm going to read the passage in a moment, but before I do, I want to just preface it by mentioning two things. This may be the most detailed description of the resurrection in the whole Bible. Like We don't hear a lot about the powerful moment that led to the resurrection. Most of the depictions of the resurrection just kind of talk about the tomb being empty or showing Jesus on display. But in these verses in Matthew 28, you're kind of seeing the moment when it happened. You also get an interesting thing that this text and a few others show, while the majority of ministry throughout the Bible is humans, men and women, teaching and explaining and witnessing to what God is doing and who God is, Around the resurrection, it's the angels. And that's unique. There's a couple times, the birth of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, where God actually employs these sacred spiritual beings to be the one to communicate. We can only guess why. It certainly emphasizes the magnitude of the moment. It might simply be that God just knew, like the two women here, that they would be overwhelmed with the realities at work, and would need a little bit of commentary, a little bit of explanation, a little bit of encouragement. So what's kind of interesting is the the very first Easter sermon is actually from an angel who explains several things about what just happened, what it means, and what we're supposed to do with it. So with your Bibles open, hopefully, look at Matthew chapter 28. Let me Read the text, and I will pray for us, and then we will look at its details and reflect upon it together. Matthew 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven And going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Let's pray. Father, we gather on Resurrection Sunday to grasp the meaning and significance and realities of resurrection, of new life, 
of this historic celebration. Minister to us, Father, through your word, by your spirit, so that we can understand the person and the work and the guarantee of the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The text is loaded with significant details. Notice it says in verse 1, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week. This was a a monumental shift that happened in the history of Christianity. Since the beginning, God's people had worshipped on the last day of the week, matching with the week of creation. That God made the, made, made the world in the last, the seventh day, he rested. And God's people, as God commanded, established that as the day when they reflect on the work of the creator and the work of the redeemer on their behalf. But from the resurrection onward, from this day recorded here onward, the day of worship for God's people moved from the last day of the week to the first day of the next week because they realized it was the beginning of the new creation. God had fulfilled what he had promised, fulfilling it all through Jesus Christ of the creation week. And the new creation was beginning. It was already, even if not yet. That revolutionized the way we think about the world and the way we think about death and the way we think about time. That's why we gather not on Saturday like God's people did millennia ago, but we gather on Sunday week after week. That's why the New Testament uses language like in the last days. Now that we're in the last days, they wrote that 2,000 years ago. How could that be the last days? It was because it was after the resurrection. And the final step, the only thing waiting for it to happen at this point is the second return of Christ. So on this first resurrection Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, poor lady never even got much of a description, did she? Went to look at the tomb. Certainly they were confused They were burdened, they were mourning, lamenting. They didn't fully, they couldn't yet fully understand. Now look at verses two and three. This is where we see in graphic detail descriptions that we don't get almost anywhere else. There was a violent earthquake. Again, that that sounds great. You ever ever been in an earthquake? When we lived in Southern California, I just remember I was laying on the floor reading, as I love to do when I read, and I just literally would feel, the. I'm like, what is going on? I'm from Rockford. This doesn't happen regularly. You could just feel this rolling of the ground, and everything was shaking. And me, a Midwesterner, I panicked. I don't know how common it was for these two Marys, but imagine you walk up to the tomb of Jesus and the ground is shaking. And notice what it says, for an angel of the Lord came down. It's almost as if the earthquake and the coming of the angel were working together. God had assigned this powerful moment by sending this angel and instigating this earthquake. The angel came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now, historians would argue that this stone had to be massive. It was intended to guard regular people, even a group of them, from getting to the body. 
And one angel powerfully rode back the stone. Again, imagine the shock of the two Marys. And then the angel is described in verse 3. His appearance was like lightning. Maybe even this past week you, you were struck by the lightning flashing that we had in our area and it caught you by surprise. Imagine being up close to this angel sitting on the stone. He just rolled away and his appearance has the, has the overpowering presence of lightning. And clothes were white as snow. I love verse 4. This is where the Bible is not afraid to make you smile. These two trained professional Roman soldiers were supposed to be guarding a dead body. And by the end of verse four, they literally passed out, looked like dead men. And the one they were guarding was dead no longer. And then in verse five, with two shocked Marys, were they cowering? Did they jump behind a bush or behind a tree? Were they grasping at one another? Were they staring at the massive stone or the angel sitting upon it or the passed out Roman soldiers nearby? In light of that overwhelming experience, then the angel gives his commentary. And he says four things that not only spoke to those two women, but speak to the church today. And here's the first. The angel said, do not be afraid. Might sound a little easier in theory than in practice. That's the first words he gives to these two women. Do not be afraid. And then he adds this, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. I know what you're here for. And I can imagine what you're worried about are implied in his words. But do not be afraid. That's language of command, but I'm sure he meant it more as an invitation, a request. Fear not, O children of God. The women are overwhelmed by the events and do not understand what has happened. And yet the angel tells them, this actually isn't something that should scare you. This actually is something that gives you great comfort. You understand how that is true for the church and not just for these two sisters of ours, the two Marys? That statement, do not be afraid, declares the comfort that Easter brings. The resurrection of Jesus is our greatest source of comfort. If it isn't spoken about at every single funeral, it should be. And even in recent funerals we've had in this very room, in the last certain number of weeks, we have pointed to the fact that Easter is coming. Why? Because Easter is a, is a source of comfort. That death, as we've already spoken about and been singing about, death has been defeated. Christ has resurrected. And Easter is a source of comfort for the Christian. The angel goes on and makes another statement there at the beginning of verse 6, he says, He, Jesus, is not here. He has risen just as he said. Here the angel speaks about the promise of Easter. The women were worried when Jesus wasn't present. Where's his body? The stone had just been rolled away. We saw it. The guards were standing here. Where is the body of Jesus? Is that bad news? No. 
That's good news. The absence of the body of Jesus was a sign, a symbol, a, a truth that he was now alive. Again, that statement is more than just explaining that moment to the two Marys. It declares to the church that the resurrection of Jesus fulfills God's greatest promise and begins the renewal of the world. Again, hear the angel's words. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Meaning God had promised this, that Christ proclaimed this. He was letting them know this was his purpose. He had always intended to make good on Good Friday and to guarantee it on Easter Sunday. And he has. Easter is this comfort to the Christian. Easter is this promise, this guarantee of what God has done through Christ. But the angel doesn't stop there. He moves on and even gets more personal, gets more physical. He says, come and see the place where he lay. No other statement is made. No depiction of the women. Did they walk near the angel, kind of glancing to the side at this mysterious white creature? Or were they so enthralled with the tomb and the words that he spoke that they knelt down to look in and could see for themselves his body was not there? They were convinced maybe they'd seen the body be laid in there the previous day. And yet on this morning, when they arrive, they see the stone move. They see the Roman soldiers faint. They see the angels speak to them and they look and what do they see? He is not there. The women needed to see the empty tomb. They needed to connect the witness of the angel, the truth that he proclaimed to reality. They needed to be our witnesses, eyewitnesses of what is true, recorded here in God's word for us. Because for us, church, the resurrection is a historic fact. And Easter is an annual look into the empty tomb. Because we need that. We need that comfort. We need that promise. We need the fact of Easter. We gather on this day and we remember, we look in through the testimony of our sisters, the two Marys, and we see from their vantage point the empty tomb at the angel's beckoning, and we remember firmly that death has been defeated. We live that reality. We believe that is part of our life, that all life has changed, that every funeral for the Christian looks different. Every prognosis from a doctor has a different context in which it sits because the tomb is empty. And life itself is given its truest meaning because the tomb is empty. Finally, the angel's four-point sermon ends with this in verse 7. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. And here is the message. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. These two Marys were honored, privileged, 
Like the angel employed, assigned to share this news with the disciples and through them to the world. God could have chosen kings and princes and rulers to be the ones to share this announcement. But he chose these two Marys to declare to Jesus' disciples and through them to the world the message of Easter. The announcement of the angel is the message of the gospel, that Jesus lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, is physically and truly resurrected, and as the gospel will go on to say, has ascended to God the Father and will one day return again. That is the message of Easter. That is the gospel, the good news. That's what they were supposed to declare. Now, I love how the text ends around and following this angelic Easter sermon. There's two things I want you to note. They leave, or the the angel ends, now I have told you. Like, check, I finished my assignment. So verse 8, the women hurried away from the tomb. And notice this little depiction. Love this insight. You, You can imagine them hurrying from the tomb, looking for the first disciple apostle to meet. We want to tell John, or we want to tell Peter, or we want to tell whomever it may be. They're running, but it gives you a little glimpse of what these two women were experiencing. And it says this, hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Simultaneously, they were loaded with all these questions, uncertainties, bouts of fear, And yet there was a joy that was pervasive in that moment. How much of that is like living the Christian life now? How much of that is a depiction of what you and I experience when we're struggling with the brokenness of our world? As Paul says, that creation itself is groaning, that we're dealing with the hardships of life. In a room with this many people, it is for certain that many of us come here with legitimate burdens. We might have our plans for lunch or some time with family and friends after, but deep down, we're worried about what comes on Monday or Tuesday or down the road as we deal with the relational brokenness that we all taste as we deal with the brokenness of our bodies, as we deal with the pain and suffering, not just in our world or even our nation, but even in our communities and even in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, we feel that. What a glimpse pastorally God's word gives us of these two disciples. Having heard the announcement of Easter, having listened to the angelic sermon, they feel both the the fear the burdens, the brokenness, and yet there is this joy that they have. And both of those coexist, even in the life of the Christian. Well, verse 9, then they meet Jesus. Suddenly, Jesus met them. I love it. Greetings. What's up? We might, well, what do you have said today? And look at their response. A beautiful image of all of us to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Middle of verse 9 says, They came to him 
clasped his feet and worshiped him. So that, that image is of them dropping to the ground right near his feet and ankles. And maybe they each took one leg. Who knows? But they grab onto the base of their resurrected Lord. They're not just holding his hand. They're not just looking into his eyes. They're grabbing his legs and they don't want to let go. And they worship. Like what an image in our world today of the life of the Christian. With all of our feelings of fear in the midst of our suffering and brokenness. What a posture these two sisters in Christ teach us. Grab onto Jesus. Just grab him and worship him and put your trust and your hope in him. It's worth asking, brothers and sisters, what else would you grab? What else or who else are you clasping to as your security, as your devotion, as your comfort and promise? Is there anyone or anything more secure or more worthy than the feet of Jesus? God's word, the Christian faith, would declare that the answer is no. Grab on to Christ. Just like the two Marys. There's the response to the angel's Easter sermon. We feel that mixture of fear of a broken and confusing and fallen world, yet this pervasive reality of joy, and in the midst of all the options and even self-reliance that we might do, we decide to respond by grasping onto the resurrected Lord, holding fast, worshiping Him, and living in that joyful truth of Easter, receiving the comfort and the promise and the grounding that the resurrection gives to all God's people. And the text ends with Jesus reminding them, do not be afraid. That word fear is used three times in 10 verses. Don't be afraid. Now go and tell. Go tell the disciples. There they will see me too. And that is a promise to all God's people. So what or whom are you grasping when you walked into this room or as you live this next week? What is your source of comfort or the fact of promise that you hold fast to? May you hear the angelic sermon and respond appropriately this Easter Sunday. In the midst of legitimate concerns for fear, brokenness in our fallen world, let the message of Easter give you a comfort and a joy and a certainty that fits every context. From birth to death, from wedding to funeral, work to school, every brokenness we face in this world, we grasp the feet of Jesus and we worship him.
My hope today is that you have been refreshed by that angelic sermon and that you and I would, would respond, allowing the truth of Resurrection Sunday to be pervasive in our thinking and in our hearts. We're going to sing two fitting songs of worship that my prayer is that you'll respond to as acts of prayer and confession. But before we do, pray with me as as we close our time in God's word. Father, you are such a good God that you've cared for your children so intimately. That image of the angel coming to minister to our sisters in Christ from long ago, that, that depiction of their fear and yet their joy so beautifully helps us to see our own moments of life, our own fears, and yet trusting and attempts to trust in the goodness of the gospel. Father, work in us today and shape us from your word or even the songs that we're about to sing. May they be a response of worship as we're clasping the feet of Jesus this Easter morning, receiving the comfort and the promise and the guarantee that Easter gives that your angelic messenger shared and that we believe and confess. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.